such desire for power and to have it our way. Father, open our eyes to understand the king that we want to be following now and always. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got a surprise for you. Those of you who thought that Christmas was over, you've already probably taken down your trees, a lot of you. Shame on you. No. <laughs> but you probably have. <laughs> and a lot of people do, do their traditions as they do their traditions. I'm not knocking it. But I am saying, guess again. We're only halfway through the Christmas season. We had a whole month of Advent, but now we are in the Christmas season, and this is about the halfway point. Have you ever heard of the 12 days of Christmas? That's right. They're 12 days, not one, not two, not five. They're 12 days that can be celebrated, and they have been by many of the churches down through the ages. Not all, but many do observe that. Particularly, Epiphany is the season in which we are going into now. Some consider it a day, some consider it a season. But Epiphany as a day comes on, the, on January the 6th and marks the final celebratory day of the Christian holiday season. It's kind of the bow on everything that wraps it up and starts us into ordinary time, or sometimes referred to as epiphany tide. Sadly, a large number of people have never even heard of epiphany, uh, or given any thought to its importance. The word, as you saw today on the screen, the word epiphany means manifestation, or revelation. It's the Making something known. If you've ever heard somebody say, you know, I've had an epiphany. Well, they're saying all of a sudden, it's an aha moment. They realize something significant has happened. And the holiday celebrates, of course, the manifestation, the revelation of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as the King and Lord of the nations who will bring his kingdom and take it until the ends of the earth. Now, at this time of year, we often think about the coming, of course, of the three kings. Um, and in that, uh, that we know those kings that we just heard about in our text, uh, came from the east. They knew the scriptures better than a lot of people in, in Judea at that time, and they had come to worship the Christ child. And although the Magi are mentioned, Matthew's gospel paints a startling contrast between two very, very different kings. One of those kings, and oh, by the way, those kings also represent Two very, very different kingdoms. Two kings, very different, with two very, very different kingdoms. 
One, of course, and I'm referring to Herod in our text, one fabulously wealthy, building astonishing palaces and fortresses that were to be reckoned with. The other was born in poverty, raised in obscurity, and nothing like what the world would have ever thought would be called a king. One, of course, is Herod. The other is King Jesus. Today, we're going to look at these two kings, and we're going to consider them under these two headings. A king with a mountain, and then we're going to look at a king without a mountain. Now, if I've got you completely confused, and hang in there. I think you'll, it'll make sense as we go forward. A king with a mountain, a king without. Now, one thing, as far as this king with a mountain, one thing that is true about mankind is that we love power, control. We love it. We're born into that innate desire. Control over things that threaten us, endanger our designs, our purposes. We don't like that by nature. And certainly, kings and rulers are no exception. It's just multiplied for them. By nature, they are objects of potential revolution and usurpation. We see it all the time. Look at all the wars. Look at all the seed changes. Look at all the things that happen in this world of sin. That certainly was true of this guy by the name of Herod. The original Herod. Herod had worked hard, very hard, to obtain his throne. <laughs> you could say he bought it. Uh, he did a lot of things to get it. Uh, but he really had worked hard to obtain his throne, and he was constantly trying to be vigilant to make sure it didn't slip from his slimy, greasy grasp. Herod had everything that he did was all about keeping what he had secure. He was truly a king with a mountain. Literally. <laughs> Multiple, uh, numbers of them actually, not just one. He was a king with many mountains. Herod built a number of mountain fortresses throughout Judea throughout his kingdom that he governed and he had gotten through the Roman Empire and through wheeling and dealing with them. Let me just show you, I think we've got some slides here, Joe's got some slides, show you some of these fortresses. Now, of course, then they didn't look like that. That's a, that's a ruin, it's a tell, okay? Uh, but think, try to imagine yourself 2,000 years ago these were palatial 
palatial places of great power and influence and protection. That first one is uh, Maturus, pronounce that, Maturaris. Um, And it is very near, you can actually see uh, on the screen there, you can actually see um, on the back, there's some, a blue line. That's, of course, uh, that's the, the Dead Sea. Um, and uh, you, can, you can see that uh, it's very near the coastline. And that was the place where John the Baptist was thrown in the pokey uh, and ended up, of course, being beheaded. Uh, and so that was one of his fortresses. Uh, next one, please. Next slide. That's another uh, sign more of the of the tell uh, the actual layout and they've recovered uh, a, a good bit of parts of that so you can see and get a just imagine how uh, imposing that would have been and and these are high places uh, very difficult to reach all right next one there was also Masada I think many of you know about that you've heard about Masada uh, Chris Foltz has probably been there who knows how many times. I've been there once. And, uh, but that's the, uh, the front of the Masada that was ultimately the Romans came up. Uh, let's see. Well, as you see it, uh, just reverse it for me. But, yeah, came up that side, uh, built an earthworks uh, to, the, to, to get to the top. And uh, next one, please. And that's another view of it. You can see there the, the, some of the houses and some of the palaces that have been excavated uh, there. And you can see a little bit of the earthwork that, is, that the Romans built in, just literally uh, piled up dirt and sand all the way uh, up and just marched right in. Right in. Um, and then, of course, the, the, uh, the cherry on top. Next one, please. That is Herodium. And that was Herod's supreme uh, uh, fortress, the one in which he would ultimately be buried in. And uh, that's a little bit south of Jerusalem. Uh, and there it is. You can see it from the top, a picture of that. And, be, and having control over that whole region, being able to see from any angle and from any place any, anything that would threaten his realm. One more I think we have, I believe. Yeah, that's showing some of the excavation that is being done. And you can see an amphitheater in the, right there in the kind of uh, where that road goes around. Above that, you can see an amphitheater and the tomb of uh, Herod is in that mountainside. So uh, anyway, all right. That's enough of a little picture, but you get the idea. This guy had an absolute fixation on power and keeping power and control. That was certainly true. And in our scripture reading, we observe this fear-driven control freak trying to manipulate the wise men to tell them where this rumored child was to be born. And he said, so I can come and worship him too, right? Of course, that's a bald-faced lie. He wasn't coming to it. He was wanting to get rid of anything that might be his to his detriment. And the idea of a king in his country other than him was absolutely anathema. And when that didn't work, 
when there, his little scheme got revealed by the angel and by the, told the wise men and told them, he went on a rampage with the information that he did have and, of course, destroyed the baby boys two years of age and under. This man's ex- extreme reaction accords with what we know about Herod. His cruelty was legendary and proverbial even in Rome. Even the Romans that were pretty good death merchants, they, they, this guy was, was just in a class by himself. Of, he killed three of his sons, three of his own sons. His favorite wife, he didn't kill well, the many he had. He didn't kill, he killed the one that he, quote, liked the best. And he ordered posthumous royal executions. You know that happens in other countries in the world. China, how many of them got buried along with their kings? That was an honor. Oh, you get to get you get to die and go and with the well. That's basically Herod. He, if the party wasn't happening and he wasn't there, he didn't care whether anybody else really was. And he was going to make sure he had company wherever he was going. So, if you were in the wrong spot at the wrong time, you would have got to go with him to his death. So, it's perfectly in character for Herod to try to kill Jesus. A threat. Clear. But before we dismiss this party, or excuse me, this part of the story, uh, in self-righteous disgust at this evil man, Herod, we need to take a look in the mirror. We need to take a little bit of a look into our own hearts. Herod's violent actions were motivated by fear. Fear of control, as I've already said. But the truth be known, we also struggle with fear and desire for control. Oh, we don't do stuff like Herod. We don't go around killing babies and going around taking other people to the grave with us. We don't do that. But that same impulse, that same desire in our still not yet perfected hearts, that same reality of wanting to try to control is very, very powerful. Do we not see a shadow of Herod's heart in ours and our control schemes that we come up with? And you know, a lot of times we, we do that. I do that. And I'm not even really conscious that now, right now I'm going to come up with a scheme 
how I can be in control instead of God being in control about this. We don't ever say that like that. We don't ever consciously state something like that. But the truth is, if we know our own hearts, we are always, always working, always trying to get an upper hand, always trying to make sure that we're going to be okay and we're going to make sure that we protect ourselves and ours. Now, there's a certain degree in which a proper protection is, of course, normal. But I'm talking about when it becomes, we start trying to play God. We start trying to say, uh, Father, I got this. You know, don't, you, don't worry. And again, we never state it that way. But it's true of our hearts. Listen to this quote by Ryan Rotes, entitled, what I learned from a bloodthirsty tyrant. He says, as much as I'd like to end this little biography with a moralistic, Merry Christmas, don't be like Herod. I have to be honest. I'm a little more like Herod than I like to admit. While I haven't ordered the death of any family members, I do try to control aspects of my life and the people around me. I avoid mistakes like the plague and eliminate threats upon arrival. And just like Herod, it's all rooted in fear. Fear of not being loved. Fear of losing my throne. Fear of losing everything because I have no idea what is going to happen next. That is kind of scary, isn't it? We do get, I mean, look at what we've been through the last three years. And a lot of stuff, if you look down the pike, can't see clearly, but boy, it doesn't, doesn't look really good on a number of fronts. I would like to have better control of that. Back in the day when I was first uh, converted uh, and became a Christian uh, through the campus ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ, they used to have this little little booklet, uh, Four Spiritual Laws, and there was, a, there was this, the thing that I remember sticking out to me the first time that somebody was reading that, kind of flipping through that and reading it to me, was this throne. And there was a throne, and on this side, and then over here was another throne. And the problem was, this person was pointing out to me, that my, I was sitting on the throne over here. But he was telling us that to become a Christian, it's you sit on this other throne, and it's not you. It's Jesus that sits on that throne. 
because they will clash. Their interests will invade. Are you on your own throne? Are you trying to be your own king and establish your own kingdom? That's the point. Or are you going to let Jesus sit on the throne of your life or not? And by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, I said, I want, to, I want Jesus to be on the throne of my life. Something to, to that effect. But I think you get the point. You see, we want to be in control. Just like that uh, rhyme was saying, it is so, so hard. So yeah, we can, we can get down on Herod, and we should. Evil, evil man. But there's something in our hearts that want to be in control. And yet Jesus doesn't have two thrones. He sits on the throne. Interestingly, um, Ian, this morning, your Psalm 2, uh, very apropos for this. Uh, the Lord brought that message to us today as well. Now, enough about Herod. What about the real king? The king without a mountain. Let's think about that for just a few minutes. In, in Isaiah 55, 8, we read, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God's rightful king would not be like the Herods of this world. Every year, I go on a quest. I go on a search mission trying to discover some new Advent Christmas music. Do it every year, always. I'm looking early. As soon as, soon as it, I'm sitting there on the, you know, down in the, in the uh, uh, sprint, getting ready to, to break out of the blocks, as soon as we get to, to Advent. Because I, I, just, I just love all of the various um, texts and ways that, that we've, get to enjoy the season. And so as I do that, you know, through the years I've discovered, and many of you know, uh, I'm, I'm a rabid uh, TSO fan, that's Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Um, if you're not from the 80s and 90s, you, you probably don't get it, and that's okay. But uh, it, it really is a wonderful, wonderful story uh, written by uh, Paul O'Neill. And um, <clears throat> Uh, but anyway, so you know, you know that already. You've heard me quote from that uh, many times. Another group that I have come to love so much is the Oh Hellos. If you don't know about them and their Christmas stuff, uh, you, you, you've just missed out. But the one that is uh, so appropriate here and so interesting to me is a group, and you've heard me mention them before too, and I've read uh, from them some of their texts. But one, that group is Beta Radio, a Christian group. Um, and uh, they have, on one of their albums, their Christmas albums, 12, has 12, uh, 12 songs that, that they have done. And one of the seasonal songs has this intriguing title. Coventry Carol. Now, we all know about that. You know, Coventry Carol. Bye-bye, Lulee, Lulee. You know, we know that. 
but this one is Coventry Carol slash something else is coming behind it. King without a mountain. Now you know where I got the the two-part division for this. King without a mountain. And that just set me off to thinking about this and thinking, what is this saying? And that is such a fitting description of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel. That is such a fitting description. He is a king without a mountain. He himself is the one, the mountain that will fill the whole earth as king of kings and lord of lords. You see, Matthew has already given us Jesus' royal pedigree in chapter 1 of his gospel. He's got the right stuff, but this king would have none of the trappings of royal privilege and power. That wasn't what Jesus was into. He was born to peasant parents in a shepherd's cave. He was hounded in early childhood by Herod, and he grew up in obscurity, Matthew 23. He was called a Nazarene, and that was not, and he was also considered to be of despicable origins. And it goes on from there. It goes from bad to worse as the story unfolds. The one that was honored by the Magi would be hated by the rulers of his own nation. And their puppet kings of the empire. They would not have any man like King Jesus reigning over them. Rome and the religious leaders all in cahoots. They would have none of it. Psalm 2, Ian. They would have none of it. They want no part in their defiance. We will not have another king over us. And it would be all led to, finally, all of this would come down to an ultimate humiliation in the cursed death on the cross. But that is all according to plan. All according to plan. That's exactly. This king didn't need a mountain. He didn't need a fortress. He didn't need protection. He came to die that we might live. Listen to what Mary said. Luke 1, 51, 53. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. The rich he has sent away empty. You see, as Lewis said, this is the deeper magic. When one willingly 
would give up his life, his possessions, would leave heaven's glory and come into this world to take our sin, then everything will begin to turn backwards. Everything will turn in a different direction again in the way of peace. As it was in the days of Jesus' birth, so it is today all over the world. There is still weeping. There is still lamentation. There is still crying heard all over this broken, sin-filled world. But the one who came in weakness, he has triumphed. And he's the one that's going to one day wipe all the tears from our eyes. All of the hurt, all of the hardship, all of the suffering. He has come to bind up the brokenhearted. There will be, and in that horrible event in Bethlehem long ago, But there was something that Rachel didn't fully comprehend when she was weeping for her children. Listen to this line from Break Forth, O Beauteous Heavenly Light. We sang it, I think, uh, this year in, uh, in, in the Advent season. This child, talking about Jesus, now weak in infancy, our confidence and joy shall be. He's, he's weak now, but he's going to be our confidence. Our joy shall be the power of Satan breaking. He's the one that's going to break the kingdom of darkness and our peace eternal making. What a beautiful line of what Jesus is going to do and is already in the process of doing it. You see, Rachel didn't understand that. That ultimately, for those that are attached to Jesus Christ and who belong to him, there is nothing ultimately that can separate us from him. There is no ultimate bad news for those who have trusted Jesus for the good news of the gospel. Listen also to this contrast in lyrics on the song I spoke of earlier by Beta Radio. That Coventry Carol, King Without a Mountain. Here's how it goes. This one, one line of it. Herod, this is just like the first part, uh, like you in Lulee, uh, uh, Lulee. Herod the king, in his raging, charged he hath this day his men of might in his own sight, all young children to slay. But here comes the other side of the slash a king without a mountain. Here, also a king. Without a mountain, 
No chariot to come to him. Lean in close now and listen. Prepare the golden diadem, the scepter of kings. And hear the child's mother say, nearer, clearer, thou hast come to reign. He's saying that Jesus the real king has come to reign. He came. He is here now reigning and he's coming again. Today, I've told you a tale of two kings. One is no more. The other is forevermore. Our Lord Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel. Revelation 1.18, fear not. I, Jesus said, am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the key of death and Hades. The birth of Jesus, of course, was a direct challenge to Herod's control. And you know what? The birth of Jesus is a challenge to your and my control. He wanted me to remind us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, forgive us that we do want the throne so often, so many ways, so in a way that is not seeming to be controlled, but it is. Father, thank you that Jesus is the only rightful king and who is set, and he has come to reign now and forevermore. Father, fill us with joy on this New Year's Day, and let us go into this year with greater hope and with greater love and with greater desire to worship and allow Jesus, to have his rightful place in our lives and our hearts. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.